comedian Grace Mulvey. And pop culture obsessive Neve King. Ask the question, what makes a great adaptation? We take a beloved book that has been made into a movie or TV show and do a deep dive into what the production got right or very wrong. From banger soundtracks to dodgy casting, we get into what it takes to make the jump from page to screen. Welcome to the jump. Welcome to this week's episode of The Jump. This week, we're putting on our glad rags and dancing with the devil as we discuss female ambition and villainous boyfriends. It's The Devil Wears Prada. (laughs) (laughs) The Devil Wears Prada. I mean, this is definitely the one I'm the most excited about. And I feel like it's been such a long time coming. We have been not putting off, but unable to record this for a few weeks. So I feel like we're fizzing, you know, with excitement to talk I'm about percolating. it. I'm <laughs> I'm ready to go. I'm not boiling point. And as well, it feels like this is dessert after all those dinners we've done. <laughs> and for the first time, I feel like since we've started recording, I have some strong negative opinions to get into today. You're all, you're always Miss Positive. I always feel like I'm such a meanie or something or a bitch. <laughs> a meanie? What the hell is that? But I feel like I'm always such a bitch during these. And then like, you were like, I feel very negative. And I'm like, oh, right. I can't wait to hear I'm this. I'm always like, well, they're trying, Grace. You know, they're they're doing something. Martin Scorsese is putting himself out there to the world. We always um, have to bring him up in every episode. Yeah. Him, Reese Witherspoon. It's not a jump episode unless we're taking them off. <laughs> Reese I love her okay <coughs> yeah, what did so you think what like the book let's get into it let's I, get into I had it. read this book years ago so I had a very vague recollection of it and uh, I'm very excited to hear what you think about it so I had also read it years ago I remember reading it and thinking just a bit of a beach read a yeah. little bit kind of longer a little bit maybe more boring than the movie yeah. but altogether fine this was a slog for me to get through this fucking book oh my god i hated it so much i hated this book and normally we do try and summarize the book give a little bit of background and move very quickly on to the film yeah but i need to talk about it how Um, triggered you are by this i'm so triggered by this so um the devil is proud of the novel written by lauren weisenberger Mm-hmm. Uh, came out in 2003 a little background on Lauren that I feel uh, most people know this if you know about the Devil Wars Prada and the history behind it a thinly veiled one might say you know fiction uh, Lauren Weisenberger did go traveling straight after college from after she was studying in a liberal arts college and came back from traveling to immediately take up a role as assistant to Vogue editor Anna Wintour that's mental, isn't yeah. it? Like, I know I knew that on some level, but the fact that she also came straight from college. Like, yeah. it's not even that thinly veiled. I know, <laughs> that's what I really want to know. Like, I would love to talk, to, and I'm sure she gets this all the time, and be like, just tell, just come on. You know, because whenever yeah. you do talk, well, I'll get into this a little bit. In any public comment she's made about the book, she's like, no, it's a book about being an assistant. You know, it's like none of it's true except for, you know, you do have to get coffee for people. I'm like, no, but how did you, Lauren, (laughs) Lauren, how did you get a job at Vogue at friggin' 22 (laughs) with no magazine experience? Like even at an assistant in that like magazine, that publication, surely 
should have some experience. It makes me wonder who her family are and what connections oh. she has. Oh. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like in, in this day and age, I think we all realize that like anyone who like did got somewhere very young either was like discovered off the street and like being like, you're so stunning, you need to be involved. <laughs> or knows like everyone in yeah. publishing or something like that. So the story of the book, not too similar to the overall kind of story of the film, or not too dissimilar to the overall story of the film, is that Andy Sachs gets a job at Runway Magazine, uh, a huge American fashion publication, very famous, very well known, as an assistant for the editor-in-chief Miranda Priestley. She has a very terrible time there. You know, the whole uh, purpose of her going to work in this publication is that Miranda Priestley is so notoriously difficult to work for. If you work for her for a year, you can get a job wherever you want. What is it, Grace? It's the job a million million girls girls would would die die for. But (laughs) Andy somehow (laughs) got... So that's overall the story of the book. It's about her nightmare year working at Runaway, you know, really ripe for a fun beach read obviously it's just about being in a nightmare assistant job with the kind of fun backsplash of this very fashionable very new york centric you know situation or 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 backdrop backdrop um in the book the character andy sachs (laughs) is the most insufferable (laughs) entitled psychopath she is psychotic yeah she like we said just out of college went traveling for a few weeks got dysentery came back had the shits for six weeks and got a job at vogue (laughs) sorry runway (laughs) (laughs) and her whole time i'm gonna pass over to you because i know i've been ranting for a few minutes the whole time that andy is working at runway what we learn from her inner monologue is that her big goal is to work for the new yorker and she is obsessed with the fact that once she gets this year under her belt, she'll be able to work for the New Yorker and she'll be set. My question, Grace, <laughs> as I pass over to you, who the fuck gave this girl the idea <laughs> that she could waltz into a job as a writer for the New Yorker? That is just the tip of the iceberg about what makes this character so insufferable. But my God, I... she is just... Anyway, you go. What did you think of the book? Well, you know what's so funny? Even when you're saying that about her waltzing into the New Yorker, it's actually, I'm like, I, she's just young. <laughs> she's just stupidly young. Because like, I do think people in their early 20s kind of come out of college and they're like, oh, so you just go and do a bit of work experience and then you kind of work there. And well, I don't think now because unfortunately Gen X are so <laughs> burned by just how bad life is. But like, I do think that was sometimes people entered the media and sort of thought you could do that i don't like not excusing the character but there are times when i'm like reading it that i was like oh this girl is just and she's so over time yeah because what what year did the book come out 2003 2003 yeah i i just think we're living in a totally different world now just and i think it's because of social media people are just a lot more self-aware yeah like if you were to describe andy privileged white woman all over like absolutely all over and like we're gonna get into some of the other themes about this book that like there's a there's a certain thing about like um what the white savior complex comes into quite a bit there's a good bit of racism in here like i i can't couldn't believe some of the things i was reading but i was like i remember reading this years ago and i didn't catch this 100 percent. so i think there's something that it's of its time but when you're looking back now you're like will you ever fuck off (laughs) (laughs) and i know that's not again i'm 
sorry. But like, I, I think there's just something about it where I look at it and I just go like, yeah, there's something about her where she's just so naive. Yeah. No, and you're also, totally right. And also does think some things should come to her. Yeah. Kind of easier. Yeah. You know. You're so right and you're so gracious. <laughs> like I, I remember, I hope that they're sponged from the internet, but writing articles as a 21 year old and like, who at that age has yeah. any, you have nothing to say, <laughs> especially like nothing. Cause I'm like, Andy and myself, nothing had happened to us. Who do you think you are? Caroline Conway? <laughs> <laughs> I wish. That's what I mean. Like, that's what it's, but it's almost like maybe you might have a person who's sort of like a Lena Dunham or someone yeah. like that. It might be like, you know what? Maybe early on you had something. Andy has nothing, nothing to, to say. say. <laughs> this girl, like, you know, even with her family, like her family, she's just had a really nice family life. Yeah. And, like her sister's pregnant, which apparently she just never sees a kid and kind of oh never God. mentioned. It doesn't care. She doesn't care. Her. And she's so horrible about the fact that they live in Texas. <laughs> Houston, Texas, sorry, which is like a metropolis, I don't know, I assume. <laughs> Try buy a house there now, Andy. Good luck. <laughs> okay. The one thing I would note about the book that really is so different from the film for me is they focus so much more on her friends and her family life, which I think for the writer, I'm like, I don't know if you really realize how little we gave a shit. Like I said, like 100%. The, the story, and I think the film got it straight away. The story's at work. Yeah. The story is at work. It's not at home. And the characters are just not well fleshed out enough for them to be, for Nate to be that big of a deal in the book. Um, God bless the actor actually for taking on that role in fairness. <laughs> now that I think about it. And for her friend, is it like Lily? Lily? It's still Lily in the book, but it's, yeah, she's a completely different, different character. character. But all of those characters just weren't fleshed out enough for them no. to take up that much time in the book. That's what I found that I was like, oh, come on. Like, let's get back to Miranda and yeah. Emily. Like, yeah. that's only who I care about. Yeah. 100%. Another big, uh, kind of thoroughfare throughout the book with that we notice with this Andy character, because I do think she's completely different from the Andy in the movie, is that it's not just that she is not familiar with the world of runway or, you know, isn't really into fashion and is a bit confused and lost when it mm -hmm. comes to it. She is incredibly disdainful about this world. And it is yeah. like, as you pointed out, she's young. I do think it's that early 20s thing of she's just come from college and that heady time of like academia where yeah. you just think and you, if you want to be a writer obviously you're very into intellectualism and that but she looks down so much at this she's a snob yeah about this fashion world she thinks it's all you know complete bullshit which people are free to have their opinions about that at the same time she's working for one of the most respected women in the industry yes. Yes. and all she can do is like look down her nose at it make jokes about it that really pissed me off. And Grace, I don't know why. <laughs> well, here's the thing that I, I think you're getting really into the Andy character that again differs from the film. Yeah. The Andy character in this book really is so resentful for having to get the coffees. Yeah. For having to do the getting the clothes, getting the thing. Well, listen, if you were told <laughs> you have a year of doing this, horrendous job, and it is horrendous, but you're going to, and basically they tell her like, yeah, you'll, you, we'll introduce you to like, yeah editor of the new yorker which like could take you years to do and you're still resentful that they're sending you over to get the starbucks and you're like and also she does it badly and I yeah. think that's what i get what you get annoyed about actually is that she need, sorry if you if we don't have if we're not actually filming this episode i'm so mad like, we're not Neve, filming you just literally did like like a sort of like i thought she was gonna punch the mic she, she was so angry at this girl's worth ethic but it's the fact that she actually has such disdain for even having to do this. Yeah. And I'm like, we have all, most people who might be listening to this have had work experience. By the way, work experience, unpaid, she gets paid. 
paid enough to be able to half rent an apartment in New York. Yeah. A lot of people do work experience now, no payment. A lot of people now do work experience with no guarantee it will get anywhere after a year. And she has something which is pretty much guaranteed after a year. That's the difference. While Andy in the film does that for a little bit, but she does cop on. Yes. You know what I mean? Oh, 100%. This, this and, and she shows open disdain to, to Miranda in the book. Yeah. Which I was like, I can't believe Miranda had to ship this girl. Yeah. Yeah. Because it takes quite a long time into the book before she describes anything about the job that's actually yeah. difficult. Yeah. Literally, she was like, there's a scene. She keeps describing how she's like, every time I go and get coffee, it's my chance to talk on my phone. Yeah. Like, I'll ring Nate. And also, she'll take an extra few minutes and then Emily's ringing her being like, where are you with this? And then she still is back. And then she's like, they're always bitching at me because you're taking <laughs> She's always like, and I ordered an extra six very complicated coffees to hand out to the, in her, uh, then she, to hand out to the homeless population that is, you know, on the streets around the building. But the way she describes them is so horrible. And, yeah. and this is kind of harking back to what you mentioned about the white savior complex. She's patting herself on the back for using like runway funds to get uh, people without homes coffee oh, and she describes them so disgustingly while describing herself as this benefactor <laughs> angel being like here's your frap i'm just gonna call <laughs> nate okay <laughs> uh, okay so actually to get on just to for your point of the white savior complex right nate uh <laughs> in the film he's a chef in the book he's a teacher but he's a teacher to underprivileged kids which is noted many times by andy about how much of a saint <laughs> nate is Nate is not a person as much as he is a cardboard who walks around, I'm imagining. Okay. Yeah. I think Andy's having sex with cardboard. <laughs> okay. I don't think this man is real. The way Andy always talks about how much of a saint Nate is, here is a quote of her talking about his work and how difficult he finds working in this disadvantaged school. This is just a quote from the book. Uh, Andy saying, was dreaming about the obnoxious little nine-year-olds having sex in the playground while they swigged 40s of old English and screamed at my sweet loving boyfriend when the phone rang. <laughs> now, <laughs> Andy, <laughs> but that's what I mean about this white savior thing where I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? These are kids. And she's like, those little brats are making my boyfriend's life really difficult. And she's, and I'm like, your boyfriend thinks he's saving the world by just teaching kids. Of course, it's going to be difficult. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. There was something about, again, her naivety where they both just went into this thinking it would be easy and they're like, it's really hard. <laughs> yeah. Like, Why isn't life being fair for me? Yeah, yeah. he and did nothing to deserve us. He did nothing to deserve it. And also, or like, Nate, us. like, he's trying his best, sure, but, like, yeah. to be this shocked, it's hard. Like, again, you're like, you guys have come from just such... Yeah, you don't know anything about the world. And that's what we find so frustrating. Yeah. Actually. Yeah. And also... Because we're 30. <laughs> and i've seen things folks. <laughs> okay and that's why i need this podcast <laughs> to get it out there but i thought that just because we touched on it i was like those sort of things that they were doing is, is so interesting yeah and you're right it is so of its time um before we move on to getting into the movie i want to talk a little bit about what was happening around the publishing of this book i did some research into lauren Weisenberger and kind of the surrounding hubbub around the, mm. the publishing of this book because it was so well known within kind of media circles in New York who she was and what really? this book was about it was yeah it was incredibly controversial that this book was coming out and so some of the articles I read did point out in this very niche community you know yes. not worldwide yeah. but in this very niche community of of media types of publishers of writers 
Anna Wintour's ex-assistant was writing essentially a tell-all. Yeah. And that it was, you know, going to be pretty explosive. So, so much so that the New York Times had an editor from Vogue review the book. <gasps> Kate Betts. Oh my God, I love this sort of stuff. Kate Betts reviewed the book for the New York Times. She was once an employee of Wintour herself, and she described the book as bite the boss fiction. Oh. She said, Andrea has an unbecoming superiority complex and is just as much a snob as the snobs she is thrown in with. She makes no bones about the fashion business being beneath her or that her true calling is not to be fetching tall lattes for Anna slash Miranda, but to be supplying high-minded prose for the New Yorker. Which is just Cutting. devastating. That's devastating. Can you imagine? So there is this great salon article with Weisberger, and um, it's absolutely the cringiest thing that I've ever read. We'll link it in the show notes. It's so okay. painful to read. Where this uh, this writer from Salon, sorry, let me get her name, Elizabeth Spears, really just like laid it out on her and was like, "So why'd you write this book about Anna Wintour?" <laughs> Lauren just has to keep repeating oh it's fake you know it's not real it's just about being an assistant she asks her in the interview what did you think of Kate Betts review in the New York Times uh she literally said I don't know her (laughs) okay Mariah Carey I'm loving this it is just you know the cringiest thing because essentially the feeling that I'm getting off reading this interview and once again we'll link it in the show notes is that everyone in New York kind of received this book very poorly and that it was or once again when I say New York I mean this kind of media circle or this you know it's kind of publishing writerly uh community because she comes across poorly in it the character of Andy who is a thinly veiled Lauren and people just did not receive it well like people just thought Mm. essentially what we've been saying that she comes across as snobbish she thinks these things are beneath her and it just seems a bit embarrassing which I do you kind of feel bad for it then? <laughs> not bad enough to not, you Listen, know. She we... made a career out of it. One thing I, I would say to counter that, right? Not that I'm like I'm putting any side to this, is that there is something about people being like, so you just worked as assistant and then you wrote about it, you stupid whore. <laughs> like, you know, when you're like, yeah, Absolutely. like a lot of people write about what they've experienced. And I'm sorry, but like, yeah, working in in a, what I imagine particularly in the early, like, listen, we're talking about toxic workplaces now in a, in a, again, art context. No context in 2003, like in the early noughties, I'm pretty sure it was a free for all, like, you know. Yeah. So I think, why wouldn't she write about that? 100%. If you're a fiction writer. And there's something a bit like, so you're just going after Anna Winter? Poor little, what do you mean? Anna Winter runs <laughs> a major part of our world. Yeah. Like, what are you talking about? I'm sure Anna Winter's absolutely fine. Like, this isn't a bullying thing. 100%. And I think there's something as well where, like, people are like, um, uh, you know, if to think that this author wrote Andy and is just writing herself. Again, I think that some people... It's like the thing with like Lena Dunham and girls where where when women write versions of like kind of like complicated or maybe dickheadish women, it's like, oh, they don't even realize how annoying they are. And you're like, (laughs) no, they're a fiction writer. Like, come on. Like they they might just heighten aspects of themselves or maybe take aspects of their other friends or people they see and are maybe skewering things. I don't know. I'm trying to give her a bit more of the benefit of the day, but I'm sure like for her, it's just really hard because I think like it's that thing of like, we meet women being mean to other women, and I'm like, these are two professionals. Yeah, 
One woman is at the top of the fashion empire and another woman is like an up and coming trying to be writer who was an assistant. I don't particularly love the book. It didn't light it anything on fire for me. But there's there's bits in there and it's almost yeah. like a pity. I'm almost like, oh gosh, like I wonder what, what she would have written a few years later had yeah. she had more time. Do you know what I mean? Like 100%. She did yeah. write a sequel. I don't know anything about it, but maybe yes. we'll do a little uh, bonus act yeah, where we get into that. Yeah, that'd be great about that, yeah. So all of this to say is that around the publication of this book and before it came out, there was already a lot of adaptation buzz. Yeah. Um, so I think before it was even published, there were already offers on the table yeah. for a screenplay. Um, and I think once again, it's because of that real fascination that we have with the subject matter, about the behind the scenes working of this crazy, elite, glamorous, fashionable magazine. And dare I say the ice queen yeah. <laughs> at the helm, because she is such an interesting figure. Like we can get into it more, but Anna Wintour is not someone that I feel particularly warm about. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, She's just the type of girl you want to have a beer with. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I think. What, you know, she just seems like, like that type of gal, you know? <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's a funny one, actually. I think what the, what, there's a thing about the timing of this book that I think really helped. Because again, neither of us particularly loved the book, right? Yeah. But the timing of it, this woman was the first woman to write about this. Yeah. And no one else was doing it. And so then she just then afterwards, what really came about was things like Ugly Betty, even the September issue. Love they kind Betty. of suddenly followed. But you know what yeah. I mean? Like all of this are actually, and even what's the, um, Heidi Klum was the presenter of it. Project Runway. Project Runway. Yeah. All of this followed that. So when You're you think so about right. it, to me, it's more like, what happened with everyone in the publishing world didn't realize it was an appetite for people to know yeah. this about this, this world. So it is interesting. I think like it is, was just, it wasn't like, again, a literary masterpiece. It was just the right subject yeah. matter at the right it time. It tapped into the zeitgeist exactly. completely. Exactly, like she got something right. And I think for anyone who does that, fair play to you. Do you know what I mean? Like, 100%. Yeah. Um, so Grace, tell us about Devil Wears Prada, the film. Yeah, so De the Devil Wears Prada, the film, is a 2006, it came out, an American comedy drama uh, directed by David Frankel. Now, David Frankel, uh, he, his other films, right? Marley and Me. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> so after, after, after Miranda, he decided to kill a dog. <laughs> Sorry if you haven't seen the film. It came out in 2008, okay? You'd like, you've had time. The other one is Hope Springs. <laughs> oh my God. Oh my God. <laughs> Meryl Streep classic. Hope Springs. I love that. <laughs> um, Jerry and Margot go large. And the first and fourth episode of the Netflix series, Inventing Anna. Which I just thought, Very again, interesting. Very interesting. <laughs> you can kind of see there's something about those kind of types of topics and films that he's covered. Uh, the screenplay was written by Alain Brosh McKenna. <gasps> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> oh my God. Me again. I can't believe we're not filming today. Your reactions are mind-like. I'm so sorry. It's my, it's my fault we're not filming as well, so I feel terrible. Um, <laughs> sorry, I love her. <laughs> well, okay, sorry. I didn't even know you really... I didn't know like, you really I, who she was. I did. I knew somewhere in the back of my mind that she had done this movie. She's from. She's the co-creator of Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Co-creator of Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, um, absolutely. And I had just forgotten until you said it right now. Her, so. other, her <laughs> other ones, um, 27 Dresses. <gasps> <laughs> I swear to God, I'm not putting it on. <laughs> These reactions are so amazing. 
at Morning Glory, an actual personal favorite of mine. I do love Morning Glory. I love Harrison Ford. <laughs> one of my favorites of all time. <laughs> we bought a zoo. <laughs> <laughs> now, I've never seen We Bought a Zoo. Oh my god! Um, okay, the <coughs> film adaptation. I don't even know if we have to say this, but stars Meryl Streep as Miranda Priestly, of course, the fashion editor. Um, Anne Hathaway plays Andy Sachs. Um, and um, Emily Blunt and Stanley Tucci star as Emily. Oh my god, I forgot her. Emily was Emily. Anyway, um, <laughs> the other assistant, kind of the higher, more senior assistant for Miranda and um, Stanley Tucci played Nigel Kipling, who was kind of like. Sort of two characters in the book merged into one. Um, and Adrian Grenier played Nate, God bless him. Oh. Right. Um, <laughs> and he never worked again. <laughs> <laughs> so, as you said, a 20th Century Fox in 2003 actually bought the film rights um, before the uh, book was fully published. Um, but it was not greenlit, the project, until Streep was cast. Okay. It only took about 57 days to film in total. Oh, wow. Yeah, very, very quick turnaround. I don't know why I have some kind of very old school thing in my head that all movies take two years. <laughs> take because two I think years. we, we as, a, as a generation, watched the Titanic, the making of <laughs> Titanic, which any James Cameron <laughs> film takes like five years. And we're like, well, that's how, much, how long a film takes. Or like making the music videos on MTV, like three minutes would take three days. Yeah, <laughs> I know, sorry. Yeah. Um, listen, it was an absolute, like, so much critical um, acclaim, particularly for Meryl Streep's performance, Golden Globes. She got an Academy Award nomination. So, um, although, this is just a little thing I want to put it straight away. Although the film is set in the fashion world, they found it very difficult to get designers and other fashion <gasps> notables to appear as themselves in the film for fear of displeasing US Vogue editor the winter okay delicious, delicious. <laughs> however still many allowed their clothes and accessories to be used in the film right due to of course the person patricia field who was no yes sex in the city oh costumer probably she the only customer that i would yeah. have heard of <laughs> and i'm like patricia <laughs> on this one again patty did that <laughs> yeah um Okay, so it, what originally like what got me about the film um, straight away was there were four uh, screenwriters involved in this before Aline kind of came along and finished it off. But just to give you a quick one, a lot of people, um, the cinematographer and uh, the costume designer Patricia Field had worked uh, a lot of experience on Sex and the City, which again I feel like because of the whole New York thing, they yeah. kind of got everything in one go. Um, so there is a great um, 10 year kind of reunion um, piece um, yes. in Vanity, in not Vanity Fair, um, Variety. Variety, which was a lot of like kind of the oral history of how it all came, came together. I want to make one thing very clear that I noticed that was the difference between the book and the film because Meryl Streep basically had a quote um, on this, uh, which she kind of basically said like one thing that she wanted when she um, met with the screenwriter was to insist that um, Miranda's not a caricature and mm. that Miranda, uh, to her, wasn't based on Anna Wintour. Like, for her, she wanted it to be not that Miranda was just ridiculously mean for being mean, but actually that she had such high standards and yeah. what was wrong with a person having exceptional standards. For yourself, Neve, like, what, what do you think that the adaptation... Do you think like it improved upon from the book? And like Neve just rolled her eyes. She's like, "What did the book?" <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we were super excited to do the Devil Wears Prada. We're both huge fans of that yeah. movie. I think it goes out saying, 
every woman I know is such a huge fan of this film. The job that they did, like adapting this and particularly just the screenplay, mm-hmm. how they changed those characters oh, to yeah. tell the story is just so unbelievably good like it's just so good you know it's so juicy it's such a gorgeous juicy film interestingly when i was watching it after directly having after read the book and we both said we did not need to rewatch this to record this podcast i know this movie beat for fucking beat (laughs) um but one thing that i did notice is the anti-character is a little bit more dialed back Mm -hmm. you know she is the the stock character she's our she's our entrance into this world yeah. it's almost not about her yeah. she's just there to give us like that eagle eye view into emily into miranda unfortunately nate still for some reason <laughs> hung on in there um you know so i love this adaptation i think it's like masterful what yeah. aline rosh mckenna did to like really make you care for these characters and the first thing i would say is like this casting this oh. this is the movie that introduced us to emily blunt i know emily blunt <laughs> just a little like but through the oral history i found out was like basically cast because she will happen to be in los angeles she was like um up for the this was meant to be a massive blockbuster aragon i think it was about oh I've, re- I've read that as a <laughs> as a tiny nerdy child <laughs> anyway she was up for being yes. like the lead in that okay no one had heard of her and then i but she was already late for her <clears> flight and they asked her to just send in a tape for this and she did it in her british accent even though the character mm-hmm. was american i just think she wasn't prepared she was like oh shoot whatever Anyway, apparently then she went back to London and met up with her sister and just got hammered at some bar in London because she found out she was, hadn't gotten Aragon. And yeah. then they rang her up and was like, hey, what about the Devil Wears Prada? And then, of course, like, it's so mental just to think, I know it's like we're sliding down, but had she got Aragon, then, like, she probably wouldn't be as big of an actor. Like, this, they did mention in the Variety piece how really it was her. yeah. Whose star rose like day and night, like one, overnight. Oh, one hundred percent. Even yeah, Anne Hathaway not even as much. It was definitely was, yeah. Emily Blunt as well. That role or that character, she makes it so funny. Yes. Like, Emily's kind of a nothing character in the book. It's actually she's it, just kind of weirdly the Emily in the book sort of flip flops, and yeah. it's, it's it's not as fun. And no. you are like, no, she kind of has. And it, the thing is, you like Emily Blunt enough to to forgive how shitty yeah. <laughs> the Emily in the film is. But I think you've just hit on just exactly the right word to describe this movie and it seems so silly but it's so fun. And yeah. the book is not fun. No. But the movie is very fun and that Emily character and Emily Blunt's performance for her is just so funny. She's so acidic. Yeah. I think that one of and it's so funny because she has the, she's not, she has the lamest jokes. She's yeah. like, where do you have to go? A hideous skirt convention. <laughs> I mean, though, the best line, I'm hearing this and she's motioning her hands and I want to hear this and it's nothing. Um, Yeah, I think, you know, one thing that I noticed with the, it's not just the characters and the amount of fun they have, but also because of the medium, it lends itself to this medium. It's so visual. There's nothing more boring than reading about what a clothes look like <laughs> i want to see what the clothes look like you know can i like? also <laughs> just say because we'll probably get into the clothes but in the book there isn't this great turnaround <sighs> where she suddenly like really gets into fashion and starts wearing these fashionable outfits she describes one fashionable outfit that she wears a black turtleneck and a tweed skirt <laughs> that is so dull yeah. i am so bored by that description no um, wonder Miranda was mean to you. <laughs> <laughs> Deserved. <laughs> um, one thing I wanted to note, and I think the, the thing of the, the fun part of it, right, but most of it, 
the original drafts from the different screenwriters took inspiration from the Ben Stiller film Zoolander and were primarily satirizing the fashion industry and also the complete different narrative that the film has to the novel, right? Was that, and this is from, by the way, um, the head of production of Fox said this, um, Elizabeth Gabler, since there wasn't a strong third act in the book, we needed to invent that. Yeah. And that's actually exactly the difference. The story was just not there in 100%. the book. It's so mental. Um, but it is uh, in the film. Um, yeah, it's just, like, that's the sort of thing that I noted was like, that was the thing that when Meryl Streep came on board that she met with the screenwriter. Because the four screenwriters worked on the property, right? Um, and they all kind of did passes on them and they just couldn't find it. And it was only when, they, and they were all men beforehand as well. I'm not being like too gender, but like, I was like, then this woman showed up and I was like, nah, I don't know, maybe I should just like write about how fun fashion is. <laughs> and give it a bit of like, oomph. Um, Fucking 100% though. Like that is true. Like yeah. why can't we inject some, some joy into this? Yeah. And show what Andy is missing by being disdainful of it yeah. or by not being a part of it. And... And she wanted to follow with the book. She kind of went away from the book a bit and wanted to follow the conflict between Andy and Miranda a bit more. She said, and I'm going to qu- say a quote here, but uh, she found the experience of writing a story with a female protagonist that did not center around a relationship being very liberating, like not around being like a yeah. romantic relationship. She said, and I quote, I very liberating. I felt like I was allowed to do what the movie wanted to be a Wall Street for ladies. And I was like, oh, that's kind of interesting Aww. that you said that. I don't know yeah. if I fully get it, but I was like, yeah. I like that. I was, that was the quote from it. Um, and she initially, she tried to tone down Miranda's meanness, right? And that was at the request of the director and a producer, only to restore it later for Streep. And she later, cite, she later cited Don Rickles as her main influence. I don't know if you've ever known mm-hmm. Don Rickles, who used to be kind of like an insult comedian. And then, like, adding in things to the screenplay, like Miranda's, and I quote, take a chance, hire the smart, the smart fat girl. <laughs> <laughs> Which she felt summed up. The disparity <laughs> between Andy and the world she found herself in. <laughs> and again, that scene is just so... And, yeah. and poor Anne Hathaway's little face when she says that. Know, she's so hire the smart fat girl. <laughs> Um, but yeah, there was just things like that where I was like, <coughs> it's so interesting to me again. And it, that this where I find the adaptation thing so interesting, the background of it, is that to get a film like this, they went through three male screenwriters. And I'm not saying those men weren't, couldn't possibly, like, men obviously can write whatever they want. I think men can do whatever they want. They're great. <laughs> um, believe in yourself, men. But the We've fact seen that Barbie. Men can be anything. anything. <laughs> you're enough. And also adding in that third act because, yeah, you're right. Like the, the book just doesn't have that. The ending of the book is that at one point, Miranda, after telling Andy she's going to ring someone at the New Yorker to get her a job. So Andy in the yeah. book has just gotten everything yeah. she's wanted. Oh my God, yeah. And then Miranda makes a passing comment about how you kind of remind me of me. So man, so Andy blows up her entire life because of that one yeah. comment. And it's so anticlimactic. Like there's yeah. nothing there. Um, These are complicated characters. Like the thing about Miranda is in the film, Meryl Streep gives her such depth. And she said like it was her who insisted on the scene where she is wearing no makeup. Yeah. And insisted they took out the sweater scene they didn't want it in and she insisted it be in the oh, yeah. cerulean <laughs> because it shows that dedication that she has to her craft yeah and like what you were saying earlier it's not that she's just a fucking bitch because she wants to be it's because she is the leader of this multi-million dollar industry yeah. and she knows what she's talking about and not only that she loves and respects what she does 
that's what I love so much about this adaptation and that character within the story and the changes they've made because it makes sense to you right when you're watching yeah. it in a way that like you she's not you can't totally villainize her or anyone in the script and that's real life like you know yeah, you can yeah, see yeah, everyone's yeah. motivations and I do love that moment which once again is just in in the movie and not in the film when Andy says I couldn't have done that and she says you did do that yeah to Emily because what she's talking about is that ambition and she's saying you were an ambitious person you want to get to the New Yorker you want to keep this job to get there so you yes. fucked Emily over and, and that's is, what yeah. I've done to Nigel because I want to keep this job that genuinely I believe only I can do except I'm just more open about it yeah you can pretend to be Miss Nicey Nicey but yeah. I'm just more open about it and yeah it's, it's an interesting one when uh, with the Cerulean thing because actually Andy in that scene you know when she laughs you did laugh out loud yeah like you made it known in an you, important and meeting actually that's intentional <laughs> yeah you can pretend it's not intentional but you're like <coughs> yeah yeah like you're being a dickhead yeah and Miranda's gonna fucking take you down what I loved as well just a bit um, this is just a little fun fact the um, screenwriter gave Meryl Streep a list of colors because Meryl Streep was like I don't believe blue that she'd say blue she'd yeah. be specific and then big cerulean oh God, she's such <laughs> a genius this is a bit where like the one, one um, reviewer said cerulean's never sounded more sinister <laughs> and I think it's so true. So true. There's a great scene. I just want to bring this up very, very quickly. Um, the scene that I think actually shows Miranda how brilliant she is at her job is the scene where um, it's like Emily's sick and she comes into the meeting. They're having a meeting. They're talking yeah. about, again, the iconic line of like um, florals in spring. <laughs> What's the end of it? Groundbreaking. Groundbreaking. <laughs> <laughs> but I couldn't even remember it. But that <coughs> scene shows actually how on top of it is. The moment someone goes like, what about this? She's like, no, did that... Two year, years ago. Two years ago. Yeah. Again. And it's just showing the brilliant and how Nigel really is the only person who's keeping up with her. Yeah. Who knows exactly uh, there. And they had, and I think that does obviously show it is devastating to him when at the end, because they are two people who he probably understands her more, more than anyone else. Like he works 100%. on her level. Um, but I just wanted to highlight that thing because I think it's so important. Yeah. And I think that's we've kind of what we've covered essentially is what like the changes that were written into that character mm -hmm. for the movie and how effective they've been. One thing we've kind of tiptoed against, and I think we should dive in, is just Meryl Streep and that performance. Yeah. And the characterization of that character. um, Because she is so much scarier in the movie than she is in the book. In the book, she's kind of portrayed as this kind of shrieking hard and a little bit. And she's always yeah. having these like tantrums. Yeah. Which is which, so childlike. Yes. And you're like, I'm sorry, I don't believe. And yeah, again, like, again, I was about to bring in Anna Winter. I was like, I don't believe Anna Winter would be like that. <laughs> Oh, but yeah. I don't believe that like a woman would get to the top of that industry by having tantrums. Yeah. We know that wouldn't happen. And one of the, in that variety piece as well, one of the great or things that I love so much was about Meryl talking about Meryl, my pal, <laughs> uh, talking about how she wanted to portray that character was noting a lot of voice work. And, you know, the Miranda in the movie is very quiet. She's the yes, quietest person yeah. in the room. And Meryl Streep said that that was based on Clint Eastwood, which I love. He's always the quietest yeah. person in the room, according to her. I've never been in a room with him, but and how scared. Maybe have didn't maybe. hear him. <laughs> <laughs> the man speaks. <laughs> uh, but just how much more, yeah, you know, terrifying, terrifying that, that is, and yeah. that she never loses her cool, and that she's just, you know, like the deliveries of those that her deliveries of, you know, is there a reason my Starbucks isn't here yet? Has she yeah. died or something? 
just another disappointment. You know, all of these yeah. really that you just, you can feel yourself watching being like folding in on yourself wanting to die. If, if an older woman said that to yeah. me, yeah. I would want to die. And she, those deliveries are just. There's a moment where, um, you know, Andy does that thing where she goes upstairs in her house. Oh God. And I actually think, I'm sorry, I've watched many a horror film. Even Hereditary didn't get me that <laughs> <laughs> scared. There was that bit where she, you're like, you stupid bitch, don't go upstairs. Like, oh you're literally my like God. shouting into the thing. Why are you following the directions of these twins from The Shining? <laughs> Which, by the way, is a reference. Is it? That they were oh connecting. Oh my God. And, and I got it. Got and I got amazing. it. <laughs> um, but yeah, they were totally going. Like we were saying earlier, in the book, Andy's like, I can't believe I have to get another coffee. Whereas in the movie, we really see yeah. just the long, drawn out suffering, especially of Emily. Poor Emily. I know, yeah. You eat carbs for Christ's sake. I mean, like, give that woman an Oscar for the love of God. Give her an Oscar. Um, I also wanted to very quickly mention the scene with Nigel. I think Nigel's one of the best characters in it. Mm-hmm. Um, Stanley Tucci signed up for the film a few days before filming because they apparently, I think they had dropouts or something like that and it just came to him very late. Um, it started what I believe is a beautiful film relationship between him and Meryl Streep. And his personal relationship. Oh. Because he met his now wife through Emily Blunt because it's Emily Blunt's sister. And they, I love that for they, them. At the wedding, at her wedding, like I think like a few years later or something. It's yeah. mental. But um, yeah, it's just his character as well, I think, also shows the love of fashion. Yeah. And also for him, like, you know, he's a, a shining beacon to say a boy in Ohio who yeah, instead of wants to speech. go play out football, he was reading this. And, yeah. you know, and he was like, this is art people wear. And that's how seriously people yeah. take it. And I think that he was like giving a real speech for the fashion, you know, yeah. as well as Miranda. It's nice for him to also be saying it. And then to call Andy out and go, you're not trying. Yeah, 100%. And I love think that. think she should yeah. give, give you a little gold star every time you just do your job. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. And he's like, yeah. Because <laughs> uh, then through him, we also get that gorgeous visual feast of the fashion inside of it which is actually just so important it's so great you know that that whole like walk into the closet where you see and you see once again which i think is really important the amount of physical labor that goes into creating yes. these things like they don't come from nowhere and the amount of work that goes into dressing and looking like that and he kind of like is the purveyor of that for you in the film and actually i just wanted to very quickly go into costuming okay because patricia feel because i always think with costuming it's really interesting how it reflects the characters mm-hmm. um basically the director said he hired patricia field and my he said my approach was hire her and then leave the room <laughs> <laughs> and i was like well, i really enjoy that um uh, and he said uh, Prada's decision to assist Field helped her break the ice with like other, apparently like, Prada came along and did help them. Ooh. And then many other uh, designers came along. Um, so they had 100,000 budget for the film's costumes. 100,000? $100, $100,000. I don't know a lot, but that seems low. That seems low because it is low. Oh, okay, but it was great. supplemented by help from Field's friends throughout the industry. Ultimately, she believes at least $1 million worth of clothing was that used she made she right, got one yeah. million out of a hundred grand like patricia field is worth her weight in gold andy enters the office in chanel it's the first outfit she comes in it's head to toe chanel the boots are you wearing the chanel boots <laughs> <laughs> um she said uh field explained uh anne hathaway was the chanel girl organically as opposed to say like a versace Roberta oh yeah Cavalli, you know that sort of thing and then uh, um, calvin klein kind of rounds out the rest of hers dulce and cabana and calvin klein um uh, helped with Streep's look um, and with generous helpings of Prada. 
yeah, because basically as well, one thing they wanted to stay away from was how Anna Wintour dressed. Yes. Which Anna Wintour has a very specific style, but as Field said, we're creating an original character here. Yeah, so and we she, they do yeah, look completely different. Like totally now. different. And then, so she kind of, uh, she said with Miranda as well, gave her more timeless looks based on Dar- Donna Karen. And people like that. And then for Emily, it was more Vivian Westwood. Oh, I love that. Which I yeah. love. Again, because Emily is much more kind of like... She's a bit edgier. She's she bit has edgier. the dramatic eyeshadow looks. But can we just say the eyeshadow? What of its time? I'm sorry. The green eyeshadow. Fabulous, <laughs> the metallic. But there was, there the metallic was a blue eyes. eyeshadow that I was like, what are they trying to do to yeah. Emily here? Poor Emily. I loved about how the outfits were crafted for each character. Not just what they were wearing, but how they were wearing mm-hmm. it. Because um, obviously we have the juxtaposition of Miranda who does live her life in those clothes you know to yeah. quote Nigel like people live their life in it yeah. not you Andy but yeah, some yeah, people yeah, do yeah. and like all of her you know that her gorgeous entrance into runway on that first day such an amazing montage you see her get out of the car with that Prada bag that is weather beaten you know that she carries that bag wherever she oh goes God, I did not notice this. it is just like old and battered yeah. she's obviously shoving shit in there all the time mm-hmm. and because this is her uniform this is her armor that she wears mm-hmm. every day this is what is her life um and that's that kind of succession quiet wealth right yes. because she can afford to do yeah. that she can afford to fuck up a ten thousand dollar bag just yeah. get another one uh whereas we have see andy borrowing all these clothes that she can only wear once because she has to return them and they're just pristine the whole time and she's taking such good care of them and i love that detail that they put yeah. into it we always do this in my family with my mom, my sister about, yeah, which is your favorite Andy look from the overall montage, you know, where she's running through the streets of New York. Um, I love the outfit that she wears. It's the last in the montage. It's the one where you see Miranda actually give her kind of an approving glance. It's kind of a shift dress. Yes. With knee high boots and kind of a longer coat over it. She later wears it to the James Halt party. Oh my God, I was about to say that. I love that outfit. And there's a scene where she's kind of holding a door open and leaning very elegantly. She just looks so cool. So much of my life has been like spent trying to create like the Anne Hathaway bangs in Devil's Prada. (laughs) Uh, And near the end of it, I don't know if you, because I kind of caught this this time, but near the end of her styling is starting to look very Audrey Hepburn. Do you notice that in Paris with her kind of side split and stuff? I mean, I have to say one of my favorite outfits is the Paris outfit. You know where she comes in when Miranda has been crying, basically. It's it's kind of (gasps) distraught. She put it together herself. She put together herself. And he's like, who did this for you? Nigel's like, who did this for you? Me. She also announces then she's a size four and they clink. And I'm like, oh, this is devastating. So, um... I love that outfit, the silhouette on that, like her shoulders, her tiny little waist. And the red lipstick, which again, is is really complimentary. But you're right about the Anna Winter thing. I'm going to say the most unfortunate outfits are anything to do with a hat in that film. (laughs) (laughs) Anytime Andy's wearing a hat, I'm like, okay, well, this is dated. (laughs) Because some of the looks are timeless. And those are the ones we're talking about. They're ones that, I'm sorry, I can't see a time when it's not going to look good to us. But the hats. Oh my god! And Patricia feels like she loves a hat, like and she loves a flower. I think I think there's a beanie with a flower yeah. on it at one point, and that's just very of its time. Very and like, of its time. No. Um, can I just a little side note? Anna Wintour went to the New York premiere. She wore Prada. That's genius. The director, uh, Frankel, believes Winter may still harbor some hard feelings about the film. Um, he said he was again. He was sit- seated behind her some years um, later after the film came out at a tennis tournament in Miami, 
and afterwards introduced himself when he told her that he directed the Devil Wears Prada. He recalls she shook, she took her hand out of the handshake. <laughs> but I was like, at the same time, man, fuck off. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like I would too. I would have led with I directed Marley and me. Yeah. <laughs> and then she slaps him. You killed the dog. Um, again, just the cultural impact of it. I just want to very quickly. I think the cultural impact again comes from the film, not the book. And again, absolutely, one hundred percent. The difference in the film and the book is that Miranda's sort of like a caricature in the book, and then in the film, a much more real person to me. I also not also note this because this is so odd that we didn't notice this in the book. Miranda eats like the most um, calorie laden breakfast. Like it's noted that yeah. she can eat whatever she wants, but no one else around her can. And again, I was just like. That's just such a mad detail to me. Yeah, I, you know, and I think that's interesting. What, what I made of that is, and just getting, I guess we didn't want to get too much into it, but talking about kind of like body stuff yeah. and the fashion industry is an industry for thin people yeah. currently. Great strides have been made with the body positivity movement and saying kind of plus size models, designers entering into that industry. But famously, it's for thin people. We all know that. And especially at the time of writing. One thing that I've always been interested in or that I've kind of learned in my own body positivity like journey is that some people just have such a fast metabolism for their entire life. They yeah. can eat what they want yeah. and they will never gain weight. And that's the way that their body works. And that's fine. And a lot of other people, the majority of people have to work very hard to yeah. get this to this insane level of thinness. So... For me, how I interpreted that is that she is just someone who so belongs in this industry. Mm. She does not have to work for this ultimate image of belonging, of thinness. It just is her and who she is. And it doesn't bother her at all that she sets the standard and maintains it so that people have to work incredibly hard and in some cases, you know, hurt themselves yeah, in the order detriment. to fit into mm. that. That's I don't a, know. Yeah, no, that's an interesting take on it because I do believe, obviously, those people are out there. Yeah. I, I hope I never meet you. Um, <laughs> no, but I, I, I think, like, what was interesting to me is how she judged other people. Yeah. So the moment Andy, who would eat anything, mm -hmm. that she she would be that ever that she would look at her and judge her and things like that and that, that just what was that that was to me that's mean yeah like that's this thing where she's like won't ever allow anyone else to well yeah of course but that's part enjoys. of that like she's girl bossing and grace she's gatekeeping because yeah. she wants people to look a certain way and if you're indulging in any way you're not earning your place in this industry what also rang very true to me in the film and the book and i don't think it was intentionally done but it's just like again no one reflect you know at the time this is what no one even thought of it or criticized it and they should have how white this world is mm. like vogue us vogue has been criticized many a times for like lack of diversity of yeah. any kind 2003 good luck that wasn't happening <laughs> 2006 that definitely wasn't happening and i want do you know what i mean i wonder if the devil wears prada today was made yeah how different this film would be and i don't because again i don't think it's untrue i do think that's what it oh was yeah like, of course. absolutely but it's only from like even watching the film and reading the book and we talked a bit didn't kind of go into too much of it but some of the there was some comments that i would consider racist in the book oh and yeah 100 like, percent then you look at the film and you're like it's not that that's there but it's the lack of any other yeah. type of person than but a white person obviously we love the character of nigel and stanley tucci is so phenomenal in this movie but i interpreted that character to be 
you know, the real or the fiction equivalent of Andre Leon Talley. Yes. Who yeah, is, you know, who was for a long time the only person in Vogue <laughs> that yeah, Anna Wintour UFO, considered, yeah. you know, that she mm. considered an equal and they had a really like close friendship and did for decades before they even worked at Vogue. And, mm. um, you know, it seemed the two of them were a real duo in the way that in the film Miranda and Nigel are and that he's mm. the only one who really gets her vision and kind of is able to execute it. And obviously in the movie, he's he's yeah. in a black man. And in the movie, it's, yeah. it's, it's like I said, thinly failed fiction. He is portrayed by a white man. So and that is very once again, 2003, 2006, you know, very. Like, it and is it's not excusing it. It's now yeah. just again, things that I never questioned when I watched it the first time. And I, now we look at it back at a lens where we yeah. are now. There's actually so much on the film that I cannot. Well, we'll again, put into the shout outs, the variety um a piece where they kind of uh it's kind of like an oral history of how the devil wears prada was written um the sequel the book that we were mentioning was the revenge wears prada there's currently no <laughs> no plans to make it into a film <laughs> meryl's like i'm busy yeah, yeah, yeah. i've got many oscars to get can i yeah. ask you grace do you think this is a good adaptation oh, i think it was a fantastic adaptation because there are a few quotes taken from the book mm -hmm. but bar that this is a screenwriter taking like maybe an aspect of a book and making it their own story. Yeah. And I just think it's so brilliantly done. It's so gorgeously done. I think what the book is trying to do is just so enhanced by this adaptation. Like yeah. this, the visual medium of being able to see that world and really like live in it as well as like those characters finally being, not finally, yeah. but being fleshed out and becoming real and kind of jumping off. Oh God, I didn't do that on purpose. But we're really jumping yeah. off the page. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Every time you hear jump, you have to do a shot. <laughs> um, no, it's it's I think what the adaptation of the film is it took it was it was commenting on this culture of work that I think in two thousand and three was kind of being glorified a bit and, and still glorified still. In some gig economy. Gig economy, particularly in the States. I yeah. think they have a different way of working. Um but also, it, it took seriously this fashion world that I don't yeah. think had ever been really shown that way in a mainstream audience. In a so, Grace, what is the tagline okay. for The Devil Wears Prada? Tagline, <laughs> high fashion, low cunning, and the boss from hell. Oh, I hate that. <laughs> <laughs> that actually is the worst one I've oh, read so far. They're, they're, all, they're the all bad. Like I have to say that they're all bad. Okay, Grace. Can you improve upon this tagline? Okay. So my so the original tagline, high fashion, low cunning, and the and the boss from hell. My tagline, high fashion, low carbs, so incredibly white. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best I could come up with, and I'm sorry. You know what? We'll take it. Thanks for listening to the jump. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, review, and subscribe to the show. And tell all your friends about us. It really helps us to continue to make the show even better. If you want to contact us with recommendations on what to cover next, message us on Instagram or TikTok at The Jump Podcast or email us at thejumppodcastx at gmail.com. That's thejumppodcastx at gmail.com.